Are you all familiar with Mark Sanford? Do you know who I'm talking about? He was the governor um, several years ago of South Carolina. And now, I don't know if you know, he's a member of the House of Representatives for South Carolina. But um, a few years ago, he said that he was going on a hike on the Appalachian Trail, but actually he was uh, in Argentina with his mistress. And so in South Carolina, if you say, and we lived the last two years in South Carolina, if you say, I'm going to hike the Appalachian Trail, it's a euphemism for having an affair. Um, uh -huh. um, that actually has nothing to do with what I want to say, just very little. I just wanted to get a laugh in there. Um, but I had a friend who walked the Appalachian Trail and um, who's done several things like this in his life, but this was kind of a big goal. You know, if you don't know about it, it it runs from, I don't know, where does it begin? Georgia? Or does it begin in Alabama? Well, praise God, there you go. All the way up to Maine, you know, thousands of miles to walk takes months to complete. So big lofty goal and found some time in his life to carve out between jobs to do this. And on the trail, he kept running into people who were out of water and he himself had some water and it was very hot and, you know, these people were possibly going to be dehydrated and he knew about possible places where they have along the trail where water is upcoming and the first time he ran into someone uh, who was sitting down and kind of dehydrated and out of water and said this to him rather than giving him some of his water he gave him some advice about sitting in the shade and, and waiting a little while and I know that there's some water up ahead but in all honesty he was afraid of himself running out of water and he felt guilty after this happened. And then further along the road, twice, two more times, he ran into people who were out of water. And he kept getting like angry with them. Why is this happening? What are these people thinking? They're on this walk. You've got to remain hydrated. Golly, carry enough water, you know. Um, and uh, after the third time, he became completely undone because he did not give these people water. He felt so guilty that he could not complete the trail. Um, he had to go home. Um, it just messed him up so badly. And here he was, a very uh, spiritual Christian who thought he kind of had his act together and thought he was a good person um, and spends you know, a day every day in meditation and felt like he was right with God. And then this happened. And it just totally threw his world upside down uh, and, and felt so terrible about it and, and guilt-ridden um, that he had to come home and, and was really, frankly, depressed uh, as a result um, uh, about this happening. And I bring this up because of our passage today from Matthew's Gospel where Jesus gives us an unsettling image of the final judgment, the separation of the sheep from the goats. And uh, in it, he gives criteria for inheriting the kingdom. He says that you must feed the hungry, give the thirsty something to drink, welcome the stranger, clothe the naked, and visit the sick or imprisoned. Um, how is that going for you in your life? Um, are you living up to these standards? Um, or do you feel like, my friend, on the Appalachian Trail, you know. Um, maybe it's something else for you, but when I read those criteria, um, I don't feel like I'm quite living up to it. Uh, and I'm often confronted with those things in my life. Um, 
you know, just walk around these few blocks in this neighborhood with a collar on, and the hungry often ask you for something to eat. So I'm, I'm confronted with that and often guilty about how I respond. Um, you know, and maybe it's something else in your life. But the danger here is reading into this text something like works righteousness. And what I mean by that is it's easy to read this text, and so many people do, and say that you've absolutely got to do these things in order to get into heaven. I mean, if you read this text on its face value at first blush, it sounds an awful like, a lot like that's what he's saying, right? Unless you do these five or six things, you ain't getting into heaven. Um, it's uh, eternal damnation and fire for you. Um, but if you read it within the context of all of scripture and pay attention to some nuances within the passage, you see that that isn't quite the case. I mean, just look at these other places in scripture where Isaiah says all our righteousnesses or our good works are filthy rags anyway. Um, in Genesis, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Golly. I mean, even if we're doing these things, that's the state of our heart. And then in Romans, Paul quoting the Psalm says, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. And so how do you, you know, reconcile places like that in scripture with what this passage says? If, if Jesus isn't speaking about works righteousness or meriting our way into heaven, what is he talking about? Um, well, let me tell you. Uh, first, it should make us feel guilty. First of all, you know, reading something like this should make us feel guilty, just as my friend felt after, after uh, being halfway on the trail. You know, I mean, maybe you've been like that in a place in your life. Maybe it didn't take walking on the trail and, and giving advice instead of water. You know, maybe it was something else. But when, when you read this text, it should really bring you, it brings me to my knees, you know, asking for mercy because I know that I'm, I'm not living up to those things. Um, you know, being a Christian is actually quite difficult. And I can say, as someone who spent most of my life not as a Christian, life didn't get easier. I think it actually got harder. Um, you know, and, and people will say kind of uh, sort of um, pithy things about, you know, well, at least I know I lived a better, you know, if this is a Christianity thing isn't true, at least I know I lived the better the life or whatever. And I say, are you kidding? Like, I just feel like being a Christian is more difficult than before I was a Christian because of reading a passage like this and I'm confronted with my guilt. Um, it's, I don't think it's the easy route. I think it's a lot like hiking the Appalachian Trail, um, whether you're Mark Sanford or, or my friend, you know. Um, it's a great metaphor for the Christian life. Um, and uh, and when, when we don't care for the least of these, therefore, we ought to feel compelled to repent, to, to ask for forgiveness. And let me just ask you, who are the quote-unquote least of these anyway? Um, often what comes to so many people's minds when they read a passage like this are like homeless people and prisoners. That's so easy to see. And yes, that's true. But in my own life, the least of these is usually something related to my daughters um, or those closest to me, you know, my mom, <laughs> my wife. Um, it, it's actually more difficult for me to care for those least of these who are closest in my life than, um, you know, the group of homeless people at the soup kitchen. And maybe you felt like that too. And so have a broader interpretation of the least of these of my brethren. Um, it, it includes 
frankly, everyone, um, and often those closest to us. And as I said, in my own life, you know, more recently, it usually has something to do with my daughters in bedtime. Um, <laughs> 4 a.m. last night, you know, um, my daughter's crying for a bottle. Do I get up or do I ignore it? Um, do I stay in bed where it's cozy or to get up and possibly risk the fact that I won't be able to go, fall back to sleep and get, you know, two more hours? And um, uh, th- th- that's, that's kind of where I'm struggling currently. And maybe it's uh, something like that in your life. The second thing, you know, if Jesus isn't talking about work is, works righteousness, what's going on here? The second thing I want to say about this passage is that something like compassion, the caring for the least of these, we really should read it as um, the fruits or evidence and not the uh, precondition of saving faith that the compassion that the Christian has, that the person with faith has, is the evidence or the fruits of a saving faith and not the preconditions to merit us into heaven. There's a, there's a story that, that might help you understand this. Have you ever seen the Japanese film called Red Beard? Has anybody seen that? It's on the Criterion Collection. It's about 50 years old three hours long. It's actually written in kind of episodes, so you don't have to watch it in one sitting. I commend it to you. If you can can get through three hours of subtitles in one sitting, um, bless you. Um, But there's, the story is about a young doctor who is, you have to imagine someone who's like right out of med school, but this is 1800s Japan, so it's a little bit different, but he's right out of his training and he's kind of in residency. And that looks like a clinic in rural Japan. And this is a guy who has like high hopes of becoming a highfalutin doctor for like a highfalutin military person. And so being in this uh, clinic doing his residency is not um, what he expects and really resents being there. And there's a guy there who's the head of the residency uh, that they call Redbeard. He literally has a beard, this Japanese fellow. He's the lead doctor. And um, the, the, uh, the younger doctor, Yasumoto, um, really does not like Redbeard. He thinks that he is kind of a domineering um, um, sort of guy who um, really uh, doesn't have compassion, actually. Um, but he comes to see throughout the course of this story that he's got it all wrong. Um, that Redbeard is actually right. He starts, he starts to see through the, through the three hours of this movie witnessing the compassion that this man actually has, that he's got it all wrong about what it means to be a doctor, um, that being a doctor didn't mean what he originally thought where he ought to be this highfalutin fellow working for the, um, the, the, uh, the general and the military but it had to do with caring for the least of these, just as um, he witnessed Redbeard doing. And that is a lot like the Christian life. Um, that, and, and after, uh, toward the end of this movie, you see that he's got a complete change of heart, that he actually wants to stay in the clinic uh, where he didn't want to be originally and do the, the work of that place. Uh, and, and the changed heart Uh, Out of that changed heart for Yasumoto comes the compassion. It's the fruit of something that he's witnessed. And like our passage today, the key verse in it for understanding it is this. Jesus says, Come you who are blessed by my Father, 
and inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Now notice the activity in this verse, that it's not us, but it is God. The active person in that verse is not us. We're the passive recipients for the blessing, for the inheritance, receiving um, the, the grace, basically. And so we inherit the kingdom not because of our compassionate works. Um, any compassion that we have, like Yasumoto, comes out of a transformed heart. It is in response to the grace that, and love that we've received. And this is a sign of true faith. And now, don't go around counting fruit in other people, because you know it's difficult to judge the state of any other person's heart. Usually, it comes in the form of guilt and repentance, and we don't often see that. That happens behind closed doors. But, you know, just think about yourself. You know, where are you at? Uh, the fruit might look like my friend on the Appalachian Trail, where he's racked with guilt because he wasn't caring for the least of these. That actually was a form of compassion, even though he wasn't giving them the water. Are you tracking with me here? Um, and let me just give you a final note about the, quote, least of these. Like I said, this category includes us. You know, even if you live like in Mountain Brook and have a nice house. Um, I've been blessed, by the way, to be in um, pretty well-off Episcopal churches uh, because I've seen that even the people who live in communities like uh, Hilton Head Island, where I was most recently, Mountain Brook, Alabama, Chevy Chase, Maryland, um, Georgetown, South Carolina, where people often have a lot of material possession and don't look like the least of these, they're often the least of these, uh, suffering just as much as um, any other person in the world. Um, and so, you know, coming back to my friend, the hiker, he was in that moment also the least of these when he was back home and really depressed. And I was able to speak some compassion into his life and say to him, Jesus Christ has already forgiven you for this. Um, you don't need to be depressed anymore. Take that guilt away. And you are, I give you permission to move on with your life. Now, that might not have worked. But in that moment, he was the least of these. And think of Yasumoto. If you keep watching Redbeard, you see that in that film, this man also becomes sick. And it's a 12-year-old girl who ministers to him. And he becomes the recipient of the compassion. And that's a part of his conversion experience. And we're like the two of them, really. Uh, life, like I said, is like hiking the Appalachian Trail, um, however you want to interpret that. It shouldn't have something to do with an affair. Probably more so like my friend. Um, and we can take heart, therefore, that Jesus Christ has compassion on us. And not only that, but when we lack compassion, we inherit his compassion, which is the key to eternal life. Amen.